0: Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, a weekly podcast that combines politics and comedy while generally wondering if any of the effort is worth it when politics seems to be doing that all by itself. This is episode 85, I'm and Duyeb, and I love the way that this week Prime Minister Theresa, every day is UK snow day in my heart, May, said that her Brexit deal that she made with the EU, which did everything they wanted and nothing she wanted, was a compromise. Yeah, sure it's a compromise, like when I really wanted my old Star Wars toys in our flat and my wife said she didn't, so we compromised and now I don't have my old Star Wars toys in our flat. Yes, it's often a big negative that in the UK we have a government who failed to fulfill promises more than Prospero would on a Would I Lie to You panel show team, but after months and months of promises of a Brexit so hard that we'd be just one step away from donning a giant country-sized Batman mask to ensure everyone knew we worked alone, it's now nice to realise that our government can't even go through with the unpopular promises either. It seems the UK government were visited by the ghosts of all your Christmas futures and took the idea of the season for giving to heart by fulfilling everything on the EU's Christmas list, agreeing to protect the rights of EU citizens, paying a so-called divorce bill of between £35-39 billion pounds, and no hard border in Ireland, which means that we may even end up staying in the single market after all. It seems that under that hard Brexit promise, there is a soft Brexit waiting to flop out, and while that will always disappoint a few, many will be relieved that it probably won't be able to shaft us anywhere near as much. Though while the idea of a hard Brexit might not have been your cup of tea, it will still likely piss you off knowing that we may have pretty much exactly what we had before, only now it costs more and we have less control over how it works. Not unlike how I feel every time Apple release a new iPhone. Of course, there is also the problem of whether the government will keep the promise of these deals with the EU anyway, as Brexit Secretary David Davis, a man who is Parliament's bag of polystyrene balls in that he's also useless, polluting, light in substance and yet somehow very hard to get rid of, has managed to contradict everything that was announced on Friday within just a few days, which requires an almost talented level of fuckwittery. Davis said on the BBC's Andrew Marr show that May's deal was just a statement of intent and not legally enforceable mate they can hear you you know davis is the sort of idiot who'd be in a noisy bar and then wait till the pause in a song just to shout loudly about how someone across the room looked like a tit and remain completely oblivious as to why they then punched him in the face The Irish government have already responded to Davis' comments by saying as far as they were concerned, the agreement that the UK government signed is binding. Because really, what's the point of signing an agreement to move to phase two of talks if all of phase one was nonsense? If David Davis was an Agatha Christie detective, I'm certain he'd call everyone into the drawing room to tell them how he'd cleverly put many things into place to trap them all, only for all the suspects to point out how actually he'd spent the last two weeks drunkenly running around in his pants, shouting things out loud and that this isn't the drawing room, it's the garden and please leave or we'll call the police environmental secretary and leader of the anthill mob michael gove has said that if voters dislike the brexit agreement they can change it at the next general election which is due to be in 2022 when the transitional phase with the eu will have ended and the agreement should have been completed so gove saying that is a bit like saying if you're angry we're putting your dog down then you can change that once it's dead and you can get a new one On the other side of the benches, it seems like the Labour Party have finally sort of almost a bit-ish agreed on their Brexit stance, which appears to be to stay in the single market and customs union, maybe. Shadow Brexit secretary and first uninteresting default character on most PlayStation shoot-'em-ups, Keir Starmer, said that Labour would accept ongoing payments to the EU and instead of free movement, an easy movement for workers. So again, we're paying a lot of money to keep everything the same but just with a shit rebranding. I mean now, instead of the freedom of movement, the customs union and the single market that we had, we can have easy movement, a traditions union and maybe a I am a bit lonely but I'm looking for someone market. In Russia, president and stunt double for Morph Vladimir Putin has said that he will run for re-election and in similar breaking surprise news, bears everywhere have announced that they still have nowhere new to shit. Speaking of Russia, American president and Dayglo Cartman, Donald Trump, is backing accused child molester Roy Moore for the Alabama senator seat. Not that any of that should surprise you considering the sex offence accusations against Trump and his constant disdain for the little people. Republican candidate Roy Moore is currently in the lead over Democrat candidate Doug Jones for Tuesday's vote. And Trump has said that Jones is soft on crime, even though Jones's history as a US attorney includes him prosecuting four members of the Ku Klux Klan for the Birmingham church bombing. But to be fair, Trump is probably just pissed that by putting them in the prison system, Jones stopped those men, no doubt his core supporters, voting for him. Moore is a truly loathsome man with several allegations against him of unwanted sexual advances with teenage girls in the 70s, though that does explain why Trump is backing him. I mean, I bet no one else holds his tiny hands quite so tightly. And lastly, parts of the UK were covered in a carpet of snow all weekend, causing delays at all airports and complete traffic nightmares. This no doubt confused many racists, who were probably pleased everything was white while terrified that the snowflakes now have the power to disrupt everything season's greetings pod people or if you like salt and pepper a lot seasonings greetings uh did you listeners in the uk enjoy the snow this past weekend i saw a little boy being pulled along in a sled by his dad in the park near us and the glee the boy had uh, at all the snow was so brilliantly balanced out by his dad's very miserable very cold face oh uh, it's so magical isn't it the snow you know until you have to do anything at all outside of your own home at which point it's shit I had to drive to a show yesterday and carefully driving all around London, all I saw were cars that had just slid into walls or skidded into lampposts and buses abandoned at the bottom of hills. It was kind of like a Greek myth moment when the hero walks the path to a monster and sees all the previous heroes turned to stone or dead along the way. Anyway, I had brilliant fun making lots of snow angels. Um, That is what you call it when you skid off the road and hit someone, right? (laughs) That is, of course, a joke. I didn't do that whatsoever. Um, Also, uh, my comment at the top of the show about my wife not wanting Star Wars toys that is a joke too Uh, she is far more tolerant than that to the extent where she's happy for me to lie about her in a joke and she even likes Star Wars so I feel I need to absolve her before she gets any hate mail whatsoever about people going what do you mean everyone needs a Bubba Fett toy in the bathroom thank you so much for listening and thanks to everyone who's added reviews uh, to the podcast over the last few weeks it's now on 93 iTunes reviews which is amazing are there seven of you out there who haven't yet reviewed the show and would like to please please do Um, I have asked Santa for 100 reviews for Christmas, but it's likely that he only has one iTunes account. So look, it's a lot easier if you guys do it. Um, Of course, if you don't use iTunes, as someone the other day told me on Twitter that Apple are evil, though he could have just been a very serious Christian, uh, then please do review on the podcast apps that you do use, from Acast's own pod app to Soundhole or Castwank or the other ones that I've made up. Um, Please do that. That would be brilliant. Also, thank you to Vicky J, who donated to the Patreon last week, which is hugely appreciated, but as you may have seen, um Patreon have changed the way that they work, meaning that instead of charging the receiver, i.e. me, for your contributions, they have added their admin cost to the donator, which feels a little bit shitty. I mean, what encourages people to donate more than knowing that they have to pay more than they intend to? It's a bit weird to me. Um, It means instead of me losing 5% of the donated fees, it means you, as the payer, now have to pay 2.9% extra plus... 35 cents, I think. And I mean that's just makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. I mean, for example, if you give me a $1 donation, now you have to pay Patreon $1.74. Um, so look, I'm anyway, it doesn't feel right. I'm looking into see if there's another site that I can use instead. Um, I don't know if Patreon are gonna reconsider because quite a lot of people are complaining. But if you donate to the Patreon um, at patreon.com forward slash bro, it is really helpful to me. I really find the monthly donations so useful, but I can also understand if you need to cancel since this announcement and I hope that you'll either uh, donate to the kofi.com forward slash parpolbro account instead or um, change over to whatever I can find um, to use instead in the new year but I will keep you posted and again thank you uh, to all of those who do donate because it is brilliantly lovely of you uh, and really does help me make this podcast uh, better um, for those of you on the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook group uh, and thank you to people that keep joining, uh, it's brilliant, it's getting a bit more uh, interesting on there now uh, I've now made Cat Day an admin On there, and if you don't know Kat, she runs the excellent science blog Chronicle Flask, uh, and she's a regular listener, has been for ages. Uh, And she also um, types up the linear notes for this podcast weekly, which I then pop on the Facebook page every week for those of you that want to do further reading or just try and work out how to spell my name. Um, Kat is now adding lots of fun and interesting stuff to the group regularly, which is really good because, as you know, I'm really crap at remembering to do it. Um, So please do however also continue contributing to it because it is really nice when some sort of sensible discussions manage to happen on there and there's only so many links and stories that I can find so the more stuff you're popping up there means the more stuff I see and the more stuff I can include on this right last bit of admin and um, this podcast this week is as I've mentioned it before the last proper show for 2017 although I'm going to try and put a few bits out to bridge the gap before it all starts up again uh, probably just for subscribers so make sure you subscribe to the show um, and then I should be starting back up on January the 16th of next year. Um, And I'm doing that because, well, Parliament's going to be closed for quite a lot of that. Also, I really need a bit of a break and it's going to give me time to finally try and get the website working and also to plot and plan what to do with this podcast next year in terms of guests, subjects, uh, shit puns and how to get even more listeners on board. So if you have any suggestions for anything that you'd like to hear on this show in 2018, now is a good time to really get in touch at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com or the Twitter or the Facebook, because I've got time to actually look into it and chase people up. Um, if for some really odd reason you need more me in your ears over the next few weeks, firstly, what is wrong with you? Um, secondly, I am on the recently released Stop and Search podcast, uh, which is hosted by uh, Jason Reed, who we had on this show um, back in July talking about drugs laws. Um, and I'm one of the guests on his t- uh, this time. And um, I successfully reveal how little I know about drugs laws or how media works. Um, and at the end I got asked how I feel about drugs laws and instead of saying anything remotely sensible I just talked about a rave I went to in Prague about 16 years ago that I really enjoyed and then after I spoke uh, both Felicity Morse, um, who's a journalist and Andrew Doyle, who's a writer uh, they spoke after me and they gave really sensible clever answers that made me go, ah really wish I'd said that. Anyway, um, it is a fun listen though, so please do check that out. And also yesterday I recorded a really fun chat with um, brilliant comedian Romesh Ranganathan for his Hip Hop Save My Life podcast, uh, where we probably didn't talk enough about hip hop, but we did make each other laugh a lot. Um, So that should be out in a few weeks as well. Um, Rummish also interviewed my brother The Last Skeptic too, who does all the music for this show. So I think his interview will come out first and will also be worth a listen as well. Right. Phew! On this week's show, the very last show of 2017, the last partly political broadcast of this shitty year, I have managed to, and big thanks particularly to Dave Pickering for this... Get a positive and optimistic interview. Yes, really. I mean, with all the bleak news this year, I was determined to finish 2017 with something at least vaguely cheery. And so thankfully, I got to speak to the brilliantly inspiring Sarah Corbett from the Craftist Collective, who talked to me about her notion of gentle protest. And I really hope it leaves you feeling as hopeful and as positive as it left me. Sadly though, to completely counteract that feeling, there's also some Brexit fallout for balance. But firstly, to kick things off, here's this. Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn and Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell, aka the Marx brothers, have backed the Divest Parliament campaign, which no isn't a campaign for all ministers to wear tie-dyed undergarments, but instead Divest Parliament. Do you, do you see what I did there? Yes, it was terrible. Is a campaign asking MPs to demand their parliamentary contributory pension fund remove its investments in the fossil fuel industry. According to a report in 2016, the fund has investments up to £612 million, including £5.6 million in Oily Bastards BP, £4.9 million in more crude shitters Royal Dutch Shell, and they also have investments in mining firm Rio Tinto, who've been criticised for environmental damage but also human rights violations and corruptions, which is a lot of horrible stuff for a company that sounds a lot like it should just do suntan lotion. Plus, the Parliamentary Contributory Pension Fund have investments in British American Tobacco and Amazon, and look hey maybe it's just me being cynical but when MPs know that their pension fund has got investments in those companies and then they have to vote on issues such as smoking or tax avoidance or as the divest parliament campaign is for cutting down use of fossil fuels doesn't that make those lines more blurry than Damon Albarn Labour have pledged that 60% of all energy comes from zero carbon or renewable sources by 2030, so it makes sense that Corbyn and Macdonald are backing this campaign, as are 76 other Labour MPs or former MPs. In comparison, the Conservatives want 15% of all energy to be from renewables by 2020, but only seven of their MPs have signed up. So the campaign is now calling for ministers to align their finances with their values, which I suppose the danger is, in the case of some Conservatives, it could mean that they end up with zero finances. Check out gofusslefree.org for more info on divest parliament and there is a take action section on there with a template email that you can send to your MP. And hey, why not add some nice jokes into it as well, such as if you do this, it might help clear the air politically. Or say if your MP is Harry Enfield's worst character, Philip Davis, then you could add and maybe stop polluting parliament with your misogynist crap too, you shit rag. Though that probably won't persuade him much. How do you like to protest? Are you a proper hardcore activist who's found on every march, leading the way, singing all the songs, unafraid of being kettled for hours by police, despite worries about where you'll be able to go for a wee, giving up every spare minute of your weekends to make it clear that you won't take this shit sitting down? Or, like me, are you a bit rubbish, once avoiding being kettled at the 2009 G20 protest because I had to get home in time for a Sainsbury's home delivery, generally missing direct action because I'm out of town or it looks cold outside, and really hoping that online petitions have an impact one day because that would make being a social justice warrior a whole lot easier. Direct action can be great and the feeling of being surrounded by like-minded people can be galvanising. But ever since millions of people across hundreds of cities marched against the Iraq war in 2003 to the deafening sound of the then Labour government sticking its fingers in its ears and singing la 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 la, I've been wondering if protests are the way forward to making those for whom the message is intended pay any attention at all. With politicians calling for a kind of more gentle politics in these times of more division than a calculator test run, it feels like it's long overdue since anyone's found a successful method of objecting to things without violence, shouting into the void on Twitter, or making badly thought-through jokes on a podcast no one listens to. And right on cue for that call to action for action is Sarah Corbett. Sarah runs the Craftivist Collective, a group that aims to change the world through what they call gentle protest, which... Already sounds really nice, right? I mean, the word gentle added to stuff makes so many things sound better. You know, like folks, or Ben, or, um, giants... The Craftivist Collective, like their name suggests, uses arts and crafts to provide thought-provoking and effective protests. And before you start worrying that the only stitch you've successfully made was while running for the bus, or shouting that that sort of thing is for people who smash more avocados and systems, hold your stitching horses. Because not only have the Craftivist Collective been successful in campaigns working with organisations such as UNICEF or the VNA, but Sarah has made sure gentle protest is doable by even Edward stupid hands types like me. You've probably noticed that these podcasts since autumn have had very interesting but quite bleak chats about everything from the economy to the Rohingya crisis and so I asked you all on Twitter and Facebook last week for suggestions of who I could talk to for a positive last interview of 2017 and you did brilliantly because this chat I had with Sarah has made me feel cheery for the rest of the day and her ideas and attitude give such an exciting, interesting, artistic and well, just bloody lovely outlook on how to tackle social injustices. So I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I enjoy talking to Sarah and hey what is more Christmassy than crafts well you know apart from drinking all day and pretending it's just being festive Mm, but we didn't discuss that thankfully so get ready to be inspired because here is Sarah Corbett I was just sort of mentioning to you before I wanted to finally have a positive interview on this podcast and several of my listeners recommended I speak to you. And having looked (laughs) up uh, what you do, I'm really excited to talk to you today um, because craftivism seems absolutely lovely and brilliantly useful. So can you tell me and the listeners um, what craftivism is and what inspired you to become a craftivist?
1: Yeah, well, thanks for for inviting me on. Um, I always say craftivism is a little bit like the word punk. You know, when you think about punk music and you think that it covers everyone from the Ramones to the Talking Heads to the Sex Pistols and the Clash, and they all sound completely different, but they're all under this umbrella. And craftivism, I think, is the same. It is very different. There's lots of different approaches. If you Google it, you can find lots of different ways people use craft. Some of it might be crochets of Donald Trump um, that you uh, in, uh, that have been turned into voodoo dolls that you can prick. What I do, my approach is called gentle protests. So it's all about how we can use craft in a gentle way, not as a weak or passive way to engage in social change, but actually in a way that's loving, which can be even more difficult, but I think is much more strategic. But the, the core crux really is it's activism joined up with craft and the word craftivism was coined in 2003 by a woman called Betsy Greer when she noticed that there was lots of craft groups especially knit and groups that would meet and for hours talk about everything talk about the world's problems talk about their own issues talk about make do and mend and there was a, a sense of quite political discussions but probably with a you know a a small p rather than your podcast which is much more with a capital p right <laughs> um, so it's very different for everyone and my approach um is what i've been trying to hone for for nearly 10 years man it's been a while so i'm very clear on the strengths and weaknesses of using craft in activism
0: so uh, there's lots of questions I have there because I I love the um, idea of gentle protest. Um, I also like there's lots of genres and I hope that electrocraftivism comes up at some point. Um, but uh, <laughs> I uh, you know various different subgenres would be amazing. Um, but gentle <laughs> protest seems so such a lovely idea because I'm someone who's constantly not been very good at going to protests. I have done it quite a lot, um, but sometimes I've also run away from a few protests and I get okay. sometimes a bit intimidated okay. by them. Um, so do you think? People are sort of sometimes put off by kind of direct action in in, in that sort of manner, and is gentle protest perhaps sort of an alternative way for um, people that aren't quite as sort of aggressive.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, with so I run the Craftivist Collective and my approach is this gentle protest, but I'm very clear that it shouldn't replace other forms of activism. What I think is useful using craft and activism is that it's another tool in the activism toolkit. So when you see a social injustice, I hope that people, you know, metaphorically open up their activism toolkit and say, what's the best tool to pick up at this time? So I still go on some marches if I think the march has got a very clear you ask to a clear you know power holder and makes them accountable Sadly, at the moment, there's a lot of marches that aren't very clear on what they want to change. It's more about people standing up saying they've got an issue about something, but not really following that through with um, what they want to change, who to change it, how to change it. So I'd still go on some marches, even if you're nervous. And And in terms of, you know, my background in campaigning, I used to work for lots of charities, and I still work with a lot of them. And what's really important for marches, which is a good challenge to you, is when there's an issue um, that at a certain time there's going to be policy changes, global or national, or there needs to be cultural shifts, We need everyone on the march. We don't just want people who are the typical activists that you normally see. What politicians and business leaders look for is why are people who don't normally go on a march here? Maybe it means that this issue is cared about by a lot of people that aren't directly affected and that we didn't realise this was a mainstream issue. But at the same time, I'm an introvert, (laughs) which means that marches drain me of energy. So in terms of being a strategic activist and and change maker in my personal life and also professionally, I need to be really strict on what I can and can't do like we all need to. And I, I did a TEDx talk last year called Activism Needs Introverts. And it specifically talks about what skills we have as introverts, how we're better at one-to-one conversations than mobilising huge amounts of people. We much prefer thinking on our own and thinking very deeply about issues and good at the, the detail and strategies rather than we're not so good at seeing an issue and immediately going out to try and change it. So there's strengths and weaknesses to introverts and and extroverts. So I think it's seeing where your strength is and where your circle of influence is. And then, you know, all of my, whether it's craftivism or activism that I do, I think it needs to be as strategic as possible and as sustainable as possible because if this year and last year's taught us anything is that you know there's so many issues we care about that we can just be overwhelmed and do nothing or we can do so much and burn out and then we're no use to anyone and we're not going to get anyone join our campaign if we look exhausted and stressed and negative and, and not focusing on the hope we want in the world so I think it's it's seeing it as a mix as some people, my sister is amazing on marches, Galva people, loves the chants, wears the big slogan t-shirts. I'm not so good in that area. I'm much better at small, quiet conversations with people, challenging neighbours and friends if they say anything that's harmful or they're part of a, a, you know, a an unjust system that I can challenge them in a loving way so I think for you it's seeing where you can be of best use and sometimes that's picking up a needle and thread even if you never have before
0: that's brilliant I mean it's one of the things I watched your your TED talk um which I think is the one that you you mentioned um about uh, one.
1: you watched the one called the art of gentle
0: protest right okay well, i'm very sorry i need to catch up on your more recent one then which uh, the, the art of gentle protest one was um i found that hugely inspiring and uh just fascinating as well because uh as someone who i, I appreciate arts and crafts and have uh in the past been quite or attempted to be quite arty probably not uh, succeeded very well but um <laughs> i was probably would have cynically slightly questioned whether arts or crafts could have made much of a difference, but what you've been doing shows that actually, if you, as you say, if you do it very tactically and strategically, it absolutely can. Can you tell us a little bit about how it's worked in the past and what you've done?
1: Yeah. I mean, the first thing to say is I never went to art school. I didn't learn craft at school. I learned a few years ago on YouTube. So if I can do it, anyone can do it. And I've done workshops all over the world with some people who've literally never picked up a needle and thread before, and they have been able to do it. Some people haven't because of disability issues, but everyone else has been able to do it. So if I can do it, you can totally do it. And then the other thing to say is, I, you know, I grew up in West Everton, which is a very low income area in Liverpool in the 80s under a Thatcher government and a militant council. So I'm sort of the worst critic for craftivism because my gut feeling is what this sounds so privileged and fluffy and there's so many issues happening in the world and the UK you know this sounds awful to to stop you know to do slow activism and we need to be getting out and helping people who are on you know directly affected by austerity and all of the, those issues so I totally get that some listeners might be thinking this sounds like a massive Privilege and really fluffy, and isn't going to work. And that's why we need strategy. But there is a, I think, if it is done strategically, it really works. So there's a few um, core benefits and I've got a big 87,000-word book all about this, so I won't say too much because you can read the book and find out more. But some of the main things are the fact that you're doing a repetitive hand action, which is small and often over text. So I use lots of text that people stitch. It means that you can't do craft fast because you make a knot or you break your thread or you can't thread your needle. It, It forces you to slow down. And in this busy world that we're in, It's really important for our bodies and for our brains to slow down so we can think clearly, think strategically, especially if we're really angry about an injustice, which we should be. To just act out in anger means that we're not strategic and we often regret what we've done, like in most parts of our lives. You know, you say something you regret or you treat people how you wouldn't want to be treated. So to channel that anger into something physical is really good for our mental health. And it's good for clarity of our minds because it helps us think more critically and strategically But also for people like you and me, who are a bit nervous of marches and shouting and avoid them at all costs, by stitching with other people, which you can do, you can stitch on your own if you want, or you can stitch with other people, the fact that you don't need eye contact... While you're having these discussions and in all of my craftivism kits, I have these craft of thought questions, which are quite meaty questions to think about. How do you thread your values through what you do? What, Where can you make an impact with this campaign and how? You know, they're not easy questions, but it means that you can sit with other people and really mull them over or Think about, okay. I'll put myself in the shoes of the people directly affected by this injustice. How would I feel? But also put yourselves in the shoes of the perpetrators and not demonize them. But think about where they can be part of the solution and not the problem. So that slow, quiet activism, I think, is so powerful. And without using your hands at the same time, you know, using your head, hands and hearts together, I think is a really powerful way of doing activism, which a lot of other activism tools in the toolkit don't offer. And craft is is quite a unique way um, to think critically and slowly and discuss issues with people who might be nervous, people who sometimes want to run off and do stuff too quickly. It forces them to rethink. Um, And you can't do that with Peyton and you can't do that with with computer games. They have very different skills that you can bring into activism, but handicraft um, I think is quite unique to use in activism in a particular way for that slow, quiet activism. Does that make one,
0: sense? Yeah, oh absolutely. And I mean one of the things that really uh struck me about the about the TED talk that I did watch um was and I would highly advise all the listeners to check that out, um, was the response. So just sort of uh, yeah. I, I don't want to summarise this incorrectly, but you were trying to persuade Marks and Spencer to um adopt the independent living wage for their staff. But what I found wonderful was that you presented them with um with uh it was handkerchiefs, wasn't it? Or uh yes, napkins. Yeah, yeah. So, and yes, you were right um Handkerchiefs, right? Sorry, and uh, and the, the um, beautifully crafted, uh, beautifully woven ones, and the response that they gave to it was so. Uh, lovely and human and almost, you know, very touching that they actually were so um, warmed by the fact that they'd been given a gift and that made them think a lot more about your cause. And is is that normally the sort of response? Because I think most people love receiving a gift that's been thought about. I think there's no one in the world that isn't touched by that, you know. So does that that gives it a very different um, kind of power, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the reason we we gave gifts to the board members was because the CEO of Marks & Spencer at the time was ignoring – was purposefully ignoring – being, um, saying no to being invited to have a meeting about the living wage. For three years, he was saying, nope, not interested. So the strategy was, okay, well, who's above the CEO? It's the board members. Board members often don't get campaigned at, and not targeted. So it's quite, you know, they're not used to it. Also, we bought shares to be at the Marks & Spencers AGM. So we were shareholders. I targeted people across the UK who were Marks & Spencers loyal customers because the M and S are going to listen to them more than they listen to, you know, fifteen-year-old boys in anarchist black hoodies. Whether that's right or wrong is a different podcast, I think. Um, but there was all of that around it. But there was, there's definitely for me this very universal theme that for me is common sense but annoyingly that's not that common is it in our country at the moment um is how we should treat people how we want to be treated and also we should in activism we should really be focusing on what's the vision that we want for the world of being beautiful kind and just and how do we get to that vision rather than focusing on this is the problem you need to fix the problem because the way our brains and psychology works is we need to know what we're aiming towards otherwise we we physically just our brain doesn't know how to get out of this problem so there was lots of reasons we used a handkerchief because we asked um I bought the handkerchiefs from Marks and Spencer's so we were seen as customers and not people boycotting them but we made every handkerchief bespoke to each board member because like you said when you receive a gift it's hard to ignore sometimes we get given gifts you know like at Christmas when an old lady makes you a Christmas jumper that is disgusting and, you know, you just think I'm never going to wear this. And, you know, if I get given a gift that's pale pink, I think immediately I'm thinking, do you not know me? I'm not I'm never going to wear <laughs> pale pink. So there's different gifts that work and don't for us. I told the craftivists that I picked for their board member, I said, I'm giving you one board member to stitch a beautiful, timeless, positive quote on the handkerchief saying, don't blow it, use your power for good, what a responsibility and an amazing opportunity you have in your job. And we put a quote by someone we thought that board member would love. So we Googled everything out of that board member. I can't say swear words, can I? But we Googled- oh, you can. You can swear Oh, you
0: like on this. Oh. Yeah, that's fine
1: as a scouser that's good we googled <laughs> that i basically told the craftivist google the fuck out of them look at <laughs> look at what colors they wear. look at linkedin at what hobbies they have are they trustees of a one of them was a trustee of an opera house so their timeless quote about being the change they wish to see in the world was by a musician one of them um was a trustee of Kew Gardens, so we had a quote about how she could flourish in her role and had flowers all over her handkerchief. So it wasn't transactional and it didn't say anything about the living wage on the handkerchief, but then we wrote very long handwritten letters to go with them to say, while I was stitching this for you, which took a few hours, I was thinking about how difficult your job is, how impressive it is that you've got to that position, but also what an amazing opportunity is for you to shape the way that the retail sector works. And MS are so influential for high-end and low-end stores. If you pay the living wage, others would too. And also, I was thinking about how difficult it is for people to, to live on minimum wage. You know, it's not something that's possible in the UK which is why we have an independent living wage and we love ms staff and we're shocked that mS don't pay it and we'd love you to pay it because we love mS and we want you to be the best company you can and it makes business sense for these reasons blah 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 but it was it was all of that package we use lowercase instead of uppercase it wasn't shouty I told my craftivists that no exclamation marks are allowed because it's too aggressive but it was all about, yeah, if you were a, a board member, how would you feel to get this gift? And how how can we try and encourage them to implement the living wage rather than try and compete for power, which is what we often do as activists. We try and take power away or we say you should do this. And within... Um, we when we handed over the handkerchiefs they were really moved some of them sadly were not but that was really good intel for us to find out who was really touched and who really cared about the issue and also who seemed like they didn't really care and we not engage them as much in the future but we had lots of meetings with them after having none and within um 10 months they'd announced that they were paying the living wage to 50,000 staff and we met them at the next AGM and instead of saying look we've won we said well done MS, and we gave them um, small key rings of jigsaw pieces that we'd made saying the next piece of the puzzle is to become accredited living wage employers which is important and we know it's difficult but you can do it and we went and said well done and we said you know we know your job is difficult and they immediately looked at us and said oh thanks for saying that because you know it is a difficult job so you know it's not going to work for everyone I don't think Donald Trump or Theresa May are going to be (laughs) persuaded with a handkerchief but I think we shouldn't give up on humans and presume they're purposefully trying to cause harm when a lot of them just need an opportunity and an encouragement and a reminder to do it and that's what we were told is it was such a memorable campaign they wanted to meet us because it was loving and it was so memorable they couldn't forget about the living wage so the chair of the board told me quietly that It kept coming up on their agendas because they were saying to each other, what have you done with your hanky? Oh, what was yours like? So there's so many different elements to it that I think made it work. And it works differently for different people because we're all unique beings. But the main thing was very much saying, we believe you can be wonderful in your job rather than we're going to presume that you're horrible people because you're high up in power, which is not helpful for anyone, including ourselves and our own well-being.
0: We'll be back with Sarah in a minute, but first... So, here we go, last Brexit fallout of 2017, and I'm pleased to say that this should leave you feeling reassured, informed, and as though perhaps next year holds some genuine... <laughs> I'm so sorry, I just couldn't keep that up. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if Brexit was a movie, you could probably remove the last 12 months as a deleted scene, knowing that it wouldn't make a single bit of difference to the narrative timeline, because you'd still be at the beginning. Or well, you could include them, but to the sort of sound of a tuba with various quick scenes of the Brexit team repeatedly walking into walls, or each other, and 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 then falling over a lot like a lot of toy robot dogs in a confined space. I mean, what is your favourite Brexit theory on it all? Are the government purposefully trying to do Brexit so badly that it doesn't happen, or it does and they then lose to Labour, letting Labour deal with such horrors that when the Conservatives return in, say, ten years with a new leader, they sweep up and keep pulling that whole last Labour government shit again? Or are they aiming to ruin things so that all red tape and human rights can just go fuck off so they can then get really rich on selling working class Brits as indentured servants to various dictators that disgraced MP Liam the disgraced Fox has already had lunch with, or are they just the biggest most useless idiots this side of the Atlantic? A, B or C? I'm going to take a gamble and go all three like the world's worst multi-buy deal. Last week saw the government have the sort of negotiating skills that if they were gunmen taking hostages it would see them handing themselves over to the police without any deals, ransoms or trousers and having given up all their hostages and somehow their three-digit credit card security codes before the police had even tried to call them once. I mean, the week started with the government certain that they would get to phase two of the Brexit talks. You know, the bit where the 27 other EU countries meet with them individually to arrange deals, which would take forever all by itself but had to be sorted by early December. But somehow, rather than get to phase two, the government didn't so much get stuck at the starting blocks as locked in the changing rooms while they heard the starting pistol fire outside. The DUP, who are meant to be backing the government, derailed the chances of a special deal for Northern Ireland to retain certain EU trade legislation to avoid a hard border, after the DUP said that they didn't want a deal that was going to be different to the rest of the UK. Cool guys, so you want the same as the rest of the United Kingdom, yeah? So you're cool with abortion and same-sex marriage too, just like us, right guys? Guys? Hello guys? Hello guys? Hmm, weird. Then, within a week, somehow the government had reached a breakthrough Brexit deal with the EU, and by breakthrough, they meant they'd basically done all the things the EU had asked them to do ages ago, and the UK government had insisted didn't need to happen. Overall, you can't help but wonder if they'd changed what they were having for dinner and perhaps, say, eaten humble pie earlier instead of spending months trying to have and scoff their cake at the same time, we'd have been at this stage an absolute age ago. So what is this breakthrough deal that supposedly happened? Well, firstly, the very easy bit. The Brexit bill. The government say that they will be paying between 35 and £39 as an agreed contribution for their already signed off contract with the EU till 2020, as well as some of the pension payments for MEP and other EU staff, which yes, sadly does include professional frog balls for a face Nigel Farage, who said he will definitely take his EU pension payments despite railing against the UK money wasted on the EU and that's because he has less personal values than the pound after Brexit. So, that's the Brexit bill. Then there's the rights of EU citizens in the UK, to whom May published a letter on Facebook too, because, hey, what's a heartfelt letter if it's not footnoted by bigoted comments about immigrants and people telling the Prime Minister to fuck off? This letter was titled, I know our country would be poorer if you left and I want you to stay. Which feels a lot like titling a letter with, Don't go because we really need your cash. It does, however, go on to repeat what was in the joint progress report by the UK and EU released last week. The EU citizens' rights will be written into UK law, and while the EU wanted the European Courts of Justice to protect their rights for at least five years, and the UK government didn't want the European Courts of Justice involved at all, they have come to a compromise negotiated outcome, where the European Courts of Justice will be available for the UK courts to refer to for eight years. Yeah, those are the sort of negotiating skills that would leave you struggling to win a bit of bread off a duck. EU citizens that have been here for 5 years will now be able to get settled status, which considering how unsettled the UK is right now, that seems pretty good. And anyone who has been here less than 5 years will be allowed to reach the 5 year limit, so you do sort of wonder why the limit is there at all. And they don't just guarantee rights from entry. Families will also be allowed to join, which is good news for many and bad news for a few people trying to avoid their shitty families. And also health benefits and all those sorts of things are all sorted as well, which is great. And it's maddening to think that it's taken a year and a half just to reassure people already living and working in the UK that they can keep their legal rights, which should be the bare minimum that happens. And it's odd that May is now pitching this as though she's done a great thing. It'd be like if your work didn't pay you for a month because they fucked up admin and then demanded a standing ovation because they made sure you got paid eventually. Then there is Ireland. The UK and the EU have agreed that there will be no hard border, regulatory alignment across the whole island and respect of the Good Friday Agreement in all its parts, but that the European Parliament will only give a green light to the rest of the UK's trade talks with the EU if all these commitments are enforced. The UK have said if they can't make any of those three things work then they'll keep full alignment with the EU Single Market and Customs Union rules so that there doesn't need to be a border. Now. I don't know what full alignment is, unless you're trying to do a really neat border on a blank page or getting your feng shui all good because you know your bed needs to be facing west for those sweet, sweet dreams. And here's where the progress falls apart in that term, full alignment. Because it doesn't mean staying in the single market, it somehow means running alongside it. And then on the BBC, David Davis said that actually full alignment is just more of a statement of intent than anything else. Cool, man. I mean, you know, hey, it's just an idea that we wrote on a beer mat and it's great if it comes off, but if not, we'll all have a laugh. I mean, it's only Northern Ireland and Ireland, right? I'm pretty certain that David Davis just makes this up as he goes along, depending on what he's been drinking for breakfast that day. On LBC Radio this morning, he said that he didn't need to be very clever or know that much to be Brexit secretary, which, aside from meaning that he's finally excelling at something, also makes you wonder what he was told that the job of Brexit secretary was. Hi David, can you sit in a room and smile while some people speak funny foreign at you? You'll be asked questions but just laugh and then say the first thing in your head and it should be fine. David Davis said his job is to be calm but there is a subtle difference between being chilled and brain dead. I mean having no Brexit impact reports doesn't mean you're cool and composed, it means you're neglectful. In the same way me not throwing water on a fire and then letting it burn all the way through my flat doesn't mean I'm fucking cool hand Luke, does it? Davis said that he wants a Canada plus 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 deal which sounds a lot like an antifungal cream but Unlike Canada, he wants financial services to be tariff-free too, and that, like Norway, we could just pay to be in the EU. And all of that statement ignores that it took eight years to do the CETA Canada-Europe deal, or that Norway doesn't have a choice about how much it pays for single market access. Essentially, David Davis has just picked and chosen the bits that he likes of various different deals. I mean, sure, David, and like Narnia, we could just hop over there through a cupboard as well, yeah? Davis also said that if there was no deal, then we wouldn't have to pay the EU anything, which I guess is because we wouldn't have any fucking money left. Funnily enough, within hours of Davis' comments on the Mars show, Ireland responded because it turns out they heard Davis say those things about being a statement of intent. Because it turns out somehow they can speak English there in that island as well. And they have the internet and the televisions. And they are now saying that along with the other 27 countries in the EU, they will hold the UK to this agreement. Which then caused David Davis to U-turn and say that the Irish border was more than legally enforceable. Which... What the fuck does that mean? More than legally enforceable? What's more than legally? Is he saying the army will enforce it? Isn't that exactly the sort of shit that led to a border in the first place? While the government had said repeatedly that from the 29th of March 2019, the UK would be leaving the single market and the customs union, we will now be staying in the single market and customs union during the two-year transition period. And again, that's exactly what everyone said they should do, and the government said no because all their toys were out of the pram, but they still wanted to chuck stuff out, so common sense just got thrown out next. Theresa May told Parliament today that this progress with the EU is good news for Remain and Leave voters because it's not crashing out without a deal or getting bogged down in negotiations. Sure, great, but I mean really it's just going to annoy Leave voters because it's entirely pandering to what the EU wanted from the deal and it will annoy Remainers because it's spending a ton of money to give us essentially what we already had if we hadn't voted to leave. The only good news for both sides right now would be hearing that the entire government had fallen in a well and that someone else is going to take over but only after they'd passed a basic IQ test. But this does now look like we're heading for a soft Brexit and probably one not too dissimilar to what Norway have, which will kind of be the best case scenario as while it would mean paying more to the EU than we used to and a complete lack of say on rules and laws, we should retain a number of benefits. This would now also be in line with what Labour have said that they're united on, which is also a soft Brexit, even though that may change by tomorrow, depending on who's allowed to speak to the news or misread what. Theresa May seems to be backing down on the Henry VIII power in Parliament as well, on the EU withdrawal bill, meaning that the government just won't be able to pass EU laws into UK laws without consultation from other MPs. And all in all, it really feels like the confident, cocky attitude that the government had earlier this year, where they just assumed they could do what they liked with all of this, it's actually shown that no... You really can't, and you can't even do a bit of what you liked, and you should probably really go into the corner and think about what you've done. I expect the EU withdrawal bill to be renamed yet again to the Damage Limitation Bill any day now. Meanwhile, Brexiteers are very angry that Royal Mail has stated that they won't be doing a commemorative set of stamps for the 29th of March 2019, to celebrate the day that we leave the European Union. One cabinet minister told the Telegraph that it is a moment in history that should be noted by the postage company, seemingly forgetting that they sold off Royal Mail so now they can't tell them what to do. And secondly, it's a bit of a cheat to demand Royal Mail deliver something solid on Brexit when their own government can barely do it. More Brexit fallout next year, unfortunately. And now, back to Sarah. It brings, it's sort of brings humanity back to activism. You know, yeah. I think um, it's a very bad, probably, analogy, but as as a comedian, <laughs> um, when I host gigs, I know that if I attack the front row and make fun of them, they're not going to laugh as much because they don't feel yeah. very comfortable. However, if I gently talk to them, they'll talk to me and then I can make some jokes about that in a, you know, in a fun way. It's all about your kind of um, attitude towards other people, making them feel comfortable uh, and as though you understand that they're a human too. Um,
1: and val- do you know, when mm. your mum... When someone that loves you says, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed, it's so much worse than if they (laughs) scream at you because they're saying, I think you can do better than this and I love you. And I think in activism, you know, it sounds cheesy, but we're missing a trick there because we're just saying, you're awful and you should do this. When every other part of life, we know that we need to nurture and encourage people. Sometimes we need to plant an idea in their head so that they think that it's their idea, but not in a manipulative way way you know we need to try and say how can you be part of this solution how can we all be part of the solution because at the moment we're just turning into more and more silos we're fighting hate with hate it's pretty immature in lots of ways and I think we need to do a more mature loving activism which is actually much more fulfilling it's not always fun and it can be hard work but it's much more fulfilling to be part of the change you want to see um and it's lovely as you yeah. said,
0: <laughs> yeah, I know it really is lovely. do you think part of it as well as the, the the physical um, nature of what you're doing because a lot of the anger and the ire in politics at the moment it seems to be because of online um you know I find that people are arguing and shouting at people online in in conversations that they wouldn't have in real life face yeah. to face, and um, what you're doing is presenting someone with a physical object and often encouraging you know direct contact um, do you think that yeah. makes a big difference?
1: Yeah, I mean, everything's case by case for what campaigns work best for what, you know, in what ways. But there's definitely that physicality one. It shows, so we often give gifts to politicians and it really shows commitment from constituents because they've made something that can take a few hours and it's memorable. So politicians go, okay, this isn't clicktivism or slacktivism. Wow, someone really cares about this. But also for the maker, you feel like, yes, we live in this world that can feel so much like we have no power and what's the point. But by making something, you remember that you do have power. You can make a difference. You can make change. You physically made something. So it gives you confidence. And there's, I've been lucky to work with neuroscientists and clinicians around how handicraft helps in terms of that empowerment, critical thinking, well-being, um, anger management it's brilliant for because you're using your hands so you're not reacting to people too quickly and it's really good for suicide, for self-harm it's often used in prisons um, male prisons with a charity called Fine Cell Work who do incredible work with rehabilitation, often with very angry people, so there's lots of elements to it but also like we do stuff where we shop drop little mini scrolls rather than shoplift, you shop drop them into to pockets of unethical fashion stores for people to find and it's handwritten in your neatest handwriting again not aggressive writing and it's all very small and people have to open it because it says on the scroll Tied up with ribbon in a little bow. It says, Please open me with a smiley face and a kiss. So the other thing is, someone's found it, so they're excited they found something, but they have to choose whether to open it or not. So again, the psychology is if they've chosen to open it, they're more likely to read it with an open heart and openly open. An open heart and an open mind, so they're more likely to engage with it because they've chose to engage with it. So there's lots of reasons why I said before, you know, using your hands, your head, and your heart together, I think, um, is amazing. And just being online means we can react far too quickly, and we're not thinking clearly. Um, and that's what worries me about this fast paced world we live in. You know, there is craftivism that you could do super fast and quick. You can do craftivism in a very angry, demon and way and I choose not to do that but there is stuff out there like that so not all craftivism is automatically gentle at all
0: I, I really love the idea of finding a scroll in a shirt that I've just bought. There's something so magical about that, um, you know, rather than just a pack of silica gel or whatever <laughs> that you normally get. There's something so much nicer uh, about finding a little uh, a little message that sort of brings out the child in you, kind of going, oh, what's yeah. this? Uh, it's yeah, it lovely. Gets you
1: intrigued. It's intrigue and activism and making people curious to find out for themselves rather than patronising people or telling them what to do, which is just very shallow interaction. Because even mm. if you agree, you forget you know if you see a poster saying no fracking and you agree you go yeah I agree with that and you walk off and you forget about it or if you disagree you know again you walk off and forget about it so it's very you know it is challenging what I do is not about affirmations telling people they're wonderful it's quite challenging questions and comments to get people to think for themselves but I think that shows that you know, in our craftivist collective work, we're saying, you know, as humans, we are intelligent, we can be intelligent, we just need to put a bit of time and effort and a bit of curiosity in, in what's happening in the world and how we can be, you know, part of the... Solution rather than the problem, but without making people feel and judged or demonised. So, it's a tough balance of what words to use and fonts, and that's why I wrote that book that people can buy for Christmas. Which
0: is which is what I'd like to come to next actually, because it's something that I mean, as you mentioned before, you don't have to be good at uh, say needlework to do this. Uh, You know, everyone can get involved in this, right? And you've written books, and you've got various gifts and things. Um, Can you tell? In fact, can you tell us about how people can get involved if they're even if they're not very good
1: well the first thing to say is I'm not a craft lover I don't love craft I'm an activism geek and I care about making the world a better place and craft can be a useful tool so it's not about only people that love craft can do it or only people that do craft can do it you know I really target influential audiences that often don't do activism or marches and engage with them so and it can be even more powerful you know if you gave your local MP one of our current projects which is with Minds the mental health charity and it's called a positive note and you stitch a message on a fabric envelope and you write the note inside you know if you gave it to your MP it would probably shock them much more than maybe someone they knew that loved craft and it would show that you really cared about the issue um, rather than just a love of craft. So I'd see it as a real strength. If you think that craftivism isn't for you, that could make you even more powerful in it. Um, My book goes through everything about where craft is useful in activism and where it isn't. But it also has this gentle protest approach, which I hope transcends craft and is useful in other areas as well and then all of my kits and tools are good for Christmas stockings and good for you know if you want to sit on your own away from your family during Christmas <laughs> or then you can do a little craftivism kit and have a think and and see what works and they're all different so some of it's about interactivism. there'll be one kit for that one kit about particular issue you care about one is about building a relationship with someone in power one is the shop dropping so there's lots of different things for different people and you can do it all over the world Fantastic. so there is no excuse not to do it <laughs>
0: And just to say, the, the current campaign you mentioned there is with, is with Mind at the moment, and people can find out about that from your website as well, right? Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, everything's on the project page and the website. Yeah, it's all there, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, so people can message me and I'll reply.
0: And one last question, which is what I ask all of our guests, um, is apart from yourself and the Craftless Collective, um, are there any other groups or campaigns that are advocating gentle protest or other protest sort of ways that you you admire and that you would recommend listeners check out or follow online?
1: Yeah. um, So I love Fashion Revolution um, because... The work they do is really strategic, but really well done. It's really positive, which I think is important. Um, And it's good for people who love fashion as well as people that don't. And they do lots of different um, ways of campaigning with them. So I'd look up fashion revolution. Um, And then at the moment the Climate Coalition. I just think climate change, we can't ignore it, whether it's our passion, whether the environment's our passion or not. And the Climate Coalition is a coalition of um, over 100 charities in the UK, and there'll be equivalent outside the UK for other listeners. Um, They're just really worth keeping an eye on to see at key points where we really need to push the climate agenda to get climate justice. Um, And there'll be a big push for Valentine's Day with them. So have a look if you've got any time over Christmas to see what you can do in February with the Climate Coalition. But over Christmas until March, um, it's really important timing around mental health, which is why I'm doing a project with Mind Because mental health is in all the political party manifestos, there's a a real clear target to have mental health equal to physical health in terms of services. And, you know, we've just had a general election. So politicians are really trying to engage with their constituents, whether they're new politicians or whether they've had a bigger majority or a smaller one. It's really good time and at the moment to talk to them about mental health, so um, Mind are doing incredible work, Climate Coalition and Fashion Revolution who work all over the world.
0: Big thanks to Sarah for that. She is such a brilliantly positive and fascinating person, and I would highly recommend you check out her four TED talks. Uh, the most recent one of which is called "Activism Needs Introverts" and has already had over half a million views, which is quite amazing. Um, you can find Sarah and the Craftivist Collective on Twitter at craftivists, on Facebook at craftivist collective, and online at craftivist-collective.com, where you can also get loads of brilliant Craftivist gifts, which are ace. Uh, if you, like me, still really desperately need to get some Christmas presents for some people. Um, And you can also get Sarah's latest book, How to Be a Craftivist, The Art of Gentle Protest, as well as the Positive Note Kit, which Sarah mentioned uh, during our talk uh, and all the proceeds from that go to the charity Mind. So now, apart from two guests who I tried to get on earlier this year and have hopefully rearranged, this show will now be in need of guests for 2018. So it is a perfect time to bother me with all your suggestions for who would be good to talk to, uh, positively wise or usual depressing chat. Um, and you can send those to me at parpolbro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast group on Facebook or broadcast at gmail.com. Or perhaps, hey, write to Father Christmas asking him to deliver the podcast that you like and you'll wake up on Christmas morning to excitedly find that you've been given socks again because you're an adult, Father Christmas doesn't exist and your family are hugely unimaginative. Email is, as always, best. And that is all for this year's Partly Political Broadcast podcast, so thank you so very much for listening to what has been a year of, well, mostly awful. But hopefully this podcast has helped you laugh instead of cry at at least some of it, and maybe be a teeny bit informed on other bits, or if nothing else, just cause a temporary diversion where you're just for a second more angry at my terrible jingles or badly recorded interviews rather than the state of humanity. If you have enjoyed the show, please do donate. Uh, maybe not to Patreon unless you don't mind that weird new charge, but definitely do go to the kofi.com forward slash parpolbro account and donate there. Uh, please also give the show a review and just do get in contact about anything you like from politics to swapsies for unwanted Christmas presents, you know, when you bought yet another peregrine falcon and you're like, I don't need any more for my bird army of doom. Does anyone want to exchange it for a leaf blower or a brio set? You know how it is. Thank you to ACAST who have graciously hosted this podcast since back in April and to my brother The Last Skeptic who's let me steal his music for a whole 85 episodes now. Uh, this will be back next year when we'll all be saying, oh wow, this is really bad. I mean, at least last year had that video of the Irish people with the bat in their kitchen. If you're a podcast subscriber, keep your ears out for some bonus noises from me over the next few weeks and do have a very, very lovely Christmas and I wish you all some snappy new gear. Bye! This week's show was brought to you by David Davis's Horoscopes. Do you wish to know nothing about your future? Well, ask Mystic David, who will tell you something he's just thought of in a very confident manner before calling you four hours later to say the opposite. Sagittarius, there is a wind of change around you today, except that doesn't mean anything will change or there'll be any wind. Or, hang on, this might all be for Taurus. Hey, which one is a horse and which is a bull? Content like that for just £35 billion per outcome.